Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be here together with you. I'm glad to see you all who are here. I know we have several visitors today, and uh, I'm happy that we're able to worship with you together. Uh, we do not know how long we have on earth to be here and to give our lives to God, but we're here today. And it is an honor to be able to spend it with you and to direct our study today. There's nothing I'd rather be doing than studying God's Word with you. Today we have Hebrews chapter 11. We're going into part 2. And that's just uh, where I stopped last time, around verse 16 or 17 of Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to pick up right there and move along. I know we have a lot of visitors today. And so this may be a random pickup for you. You don't know where in the world we are in all of this. So a quick pickup. The book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who are dealing with the switch from the transition from the old law to the new covenant. So when Jesus came, he fulfilled the Old Testament, which is kind of that back two-thirds of your Bible. That's the Old Testament. And the New Testament is where Jesus came, he died, he set up his church, and now that's the Christian age. We are Christians the old law was Jews. Today we are Christians because Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies that would happen in the old law. And this book of the, written to the Hebrew Christians is called Hebrews because that's who it's written to. It's written to people who are trying to deal with this transition of going into Christianity and really facing challenges because they don't, the writer does not want these uh, new Christians to go back to Judaism. And so we, he is going through different arguments in this book to attest why they should follow Jesus because, number one, he's even greater than angels. Jesus is deity. He is not some uh, lower life form. He is greater than angels who, who did all these amazing things in the Old Testament. He's greater than the prophets. In the old law, they revered their prophets because they gave them God's word. They were that hand in sharing the truth of, uh, of God's, uh, of the of the Old Testament, they had all of these things delivered through them. But even Jesus is greater than their prophets. He's greater than everything that came before them. And more specifically, where we're getting at in Hebrews 11, is he's trying to help connect them to these heroes of faith to show them that it took faith. I love that Denny led that song right before this study. This whole chapter is about by faith. By faith, all these things happen. And the writer is trying to show us how faith was working in these people in the Old Testament. And faith has to be working in us today as Christians if we are going to please God. We learned that without faith it is impossible to please Him. We have to have faith in God that transcends what we can see with our own eyes to please our God. So we talked about a couple examples in Hebrews chapter 11 so far. We talked about uh, Abel, Enoch, Noah... Sarah, and we're going to uh, pick up with Abraham in verse 17. So some people left on our list to talk about. We're going to talk, be talking about a deceitful liar. We're going to be talking about a murderer and a prostitute who are all commended for having faith. We might not get to all of them today, but one of the things I wanted to pull out as we go through this study of faith is how these people weren't perfect. These people were commended for having faith, but they had some past, they had some events going around in their life that were not necessarily the best, and, and many times were really bad. So um, keep that in mind as we pick up this study. We'll be talking about some of those mistakes with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Okay, so we're going to go back and explain a little bit more of Abraham in case you're not familiar with who this guy is. But here's a couple things it tells us in the verse in Hebrews. It says, he, this man was tested by God. So he went through some kind of trial by God in which he was tested. And you're going to learn he was tested to prove whether his faith was legitimate. He offered up Isaac who was his only begotten son, his only son Isaac, Abraham, gave up. And he who had received the promises offered him up, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. So this is a quote to the Old Testament where this man, Abraham, was told by God, You are going to have a lineage of people that come after you through this child Isaac. Okay, well this is his only son. And it says that he was going to offer him up and sacrifice him to God. Yes, it was by faith that did that, that he did that. Verse 19, he concluded, Abraham was reasoning that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. This Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, and he had him from an old age. So Abraham was never supposed to have this child, as we're going to see in a minute. It was not by a natural way that he had Isaac, his son. He received him in a figurative sense from the dead. And he was assuming, you know what? God gave him to me when I was years, somewhere around 100 years old. He can raise him up from the dead if he wants to. And it was all by faith that, faith that he did this. Okay, so that's what we're given in Hebrews chapter 11. But I want to go back just to kind of fill in this picture a little bit more so we understand Abraham, who he is. So in Genesis chapter 11, this is pretty close to the creation of the world relatively. The world is not that old at this point, and uh, we read about this man named Abraham, and God basically calls him out. In chapter 11, we learn that he leaves this town or the city of Ur right here. So we're in the Middle East. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This is called the Fertile Crescent. This is where a lot of the early civilization was developed in the world. It was a real fertile area, good growing, uh, good water supply, and it was surrounded by a lot of desert. So people really settled in here. So he starts out in chapter 11 right here in Ur of Chaldea, and he travels up to Haran. In chapter 12, verse 1, God calls him out of Haran. So he gets his call from God. He says, you need to leave your family. You need to leave where you came from. You need to leave and go out to this promised land that I'm going to give to you. And I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be special. And he calls him out there. We studied about that last time. We read, by faith, Abraham went out, not knowing where he was going. He was called out right there in chapter 12 of Genesis. So once he leaves there, he gets in chapter 12, verse 5, to the promised land. So it's in this region right here that is the promised land. In chapter 12, that's where he arrives. From there, he goes down to Egypt. So there's a famine in the land. So he goes down to Egypt to get food and to get some things to provide for his family. And then in chapter 13, he ends up going back into the promised land. I think when he was called out, I believe it said he was 75 years old. So this is an old guy getting around, getting God's promises, getting God's call to go. He is no spring chicken. 
And I can't imagine the, the toil and the burden of doing all these things to fulfill God's plan. In chapter 14, it's in here that he gets the blessing from Melchizedek. We talked about Melchizedek in Hebrews, so there's a little kind of pin in it from what we said earlier. He gets that blessing. And in that blessing, uh, Melchizedek, basically, uh, he pronounces the, the, the special blessing that, you know, uh, God will be with you in all these things. And in chapter 15 is where we're going to read a couple of verses to, to zoom in on. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, after Melchizedek blesses him, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So his name is Abram. God changes his name later to Abraham. But for now, it's Abram. The Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So this is a super important point that he calls... That he, uh, that he addresses Abraham with. I'm your protector and I am your reward. Okay, we're going to come back to that. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. <laughs> this guy up in Damascus is, we're down here. This guy up in, in Damascus is going to be the heir. What are you going to give me? I'm an old man. Who's going to be the one who is my descendants? You said I was going to have this great family. And I was going to have all this happen after me. Where is it? it who, my heir, the next person to get it is going to be this guy up in Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my, indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So he's complaining to God right after God said, I am your exceedingly great reward. So in his faith, we're going to see a journey of faith. And the first thing that happens when God is assuring him that he is Abraham's reward. He's, he's trying to figure out the pieces. He's trying to get it all straight. How is it going to happen? Okay. Genesis 15 verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir. It's not going to be Eliezer. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. So it's, it's not going to be somebody else's kid. It's going to be yours who's going to be your heir. Verse 5, then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. Go outside and try to count all those stars out there, he said. Now, the city disrupts our view of a lot of the stars, and he was out in the wilderness where there would have been no lights. He could have seen countless stars if you go up into the mountains. It's unbelievable how many you can see. Sometimes they look like clouds of white because you, there's so many of them. He said, if you can count them, go out there. Abraham, try to count them. And he says, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Somewhere around an 80-year-old man is being told by God, who, this man has no kids, you are going to have descendants that look like the stars in number. And he, so Abraham's response, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So God accounted to Abraham righteousness because he believed in the Lord in this promise that I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you this great nation behind you. But what goes on to happen? He gives him this promise, but then it doesn't happen right away. And so eventually, uh, Abraham's wife is like, I can't give you any kids. Take my servant 
Hagar and have a child with her so your descendants can happen because obviously something's not working here. So Abraham goes and you know, he says, okay, and he and he has he has a baby with his servant with his wife's with his wife's servant. Out of this comes Ishmael. Now, this is not the way God intended it to happen. Ishmael is not the child of faith. Ishmael is going to be the child that comes out of Isaac and Sarah, or Abraham and Sarah going, we got to figure this out because we're not having any kids. And so we're going to make our own way of doing this. And Ishmael is the firstborn son of Abraham. Now, eventually when, when Ishmael gets older, they send Ishmael and Hagar away. Because it becomes a problem in their house. Because eventually, Isaac or Abraham does have a kid. God says, okay, now it's time. You're going to have a child. That's what we talked about last time. Sarah laughed like, you, you got to be kidding me. I'm going to have a baby. I'm this old. God made it happen. God made from a reproductively dead man and woman, he gave them a child. And his name was Isaac. And it was Sarah's faith that is commended for being able to have this baby. Okay, so there is now two on the scene. There's Ishmael, the firstborn, who was the result of them being like, we got to figure this out. We got we to gotta make sure you have a, a descendant. And then afterward, God says, no, now I'm going to give you a baby to you old two people. You're going to have this child. And in their faith, they had that child. That was the child of faith. And that's a big theme in the Bible. The child of faith, the child of promise who it would come through. Okay? So now we've got these two, and there becomes a conflict. There's an issue between uh, Hagar and, uh, and Sarah because Ishmael is the older son. And in the Old Testament, that was a big deal. You were the older son. You got bigger birthright. You got more inheritance. It was all part of the superiority. And so eventually Sarah's like, you got you to gotta get her out of here. So Abraham goes along with it, and, and Sarah or uh, Hagar and Ishmael are sent out into the wilderness. They're sent out into the wilderness, and they go near death. At one point, Hagar goes away from her son and says, I can't watch my son die. They were so close to death that the Lord had to miraculously provide water. God heard Hagar and her suffering. Even though it wasn't the, the chosen lineage to go through Hagar and to go through Ishmael, God heard them, and he provided for them, and he cared for them. Our God is so good and so merciful. A little pause right here. Did you know that this is where Islam started? In the Old Testament, we read about these two people. Isaac is the child of promise, and all the Jews come through Isaac. That's the promised lineage, and so they come through Isaac. Christianity ends up coming through Isaac's lineage. But the, but the Muslims say, no, Ishmael was the firstborn son. He should have been given the heir and so he is the one that all their descendants follow through, and that's where Islam all started. God said that this is always going to be a warring people, and that he was going to be a violent man. And you know, that was no small mistake Abraham and Sarah did. They were supposed to have faith in God, and have faith that he would provide in his time, but they took matters into their own hands, and that ended up being a big mistake today. There was a lot of people I'm sure there's a lot of good people. I know of Muslims that are very, very good people. 
That's not the claim I'm making that they're not. But because of Abraham's mistake, it led to a whole lineage of people who would be led away from God and serving the true God and his plan through faith. That's the difference between Isaac and Ishmael. One is the child of faith. And the whole point of our religion is to have faith in a God who will provide. And Ishmael was the product of going away from God without faith. Okay. So as we consider Abraham, this is the guy who in verse 17, who made all these mistakes. This is the guy who it says, by faith, Abraham. So let's consider his perspective. He had a long life. And he had trouble having kids. He, had a, uh, he lived a rigorous life. He went out. He was called out. He followed God. He had made mistakes. And then eventually, like I said, he had that miracle happen where he was able to have a son through his old wife. So in chapter 22, this is where we build up to how great of faith he had to have to do this. The verse that we read. In Genesis chapter 22... Now it came to pass after these things, so after God had given him this child Isaac, he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So we're going back to when Isaac was a lad. The word lad can mean anywhere from a kind of a younger uh, boy all the way up to somewhere in, in his 30s. And many commentators believe he, might have, he was probably in his 30s. It tells us clues like when he went up to this mountain, Isaac or Abraham put the wood that he was going to burn his son on on the back of Isaac. Isaac was strong enough to carry enough wood to, to make a burnt sacrifice of himself. What in the world? This, this guy's about to sacrifice his son and burn him, burn him on an altar? Well, what happens is God ends up, when Isaac has the altar prepared, or when Abraham has the altar prepared, his son Isaac is laid on that altar. He's got the wood. He's got everything ready. He lifts up his knife to do it. And Hebrews 11 doesn't say he was waiting around for God to stop him. No, Hebrews 11 says he was going to do it. Because he believed that God, if he promised him that he was going to have lineage through Isaac, he promised him that. So he believed that even if he killed him and sacrificed him, God was going to raise him up from the dead. So Abraham had enough faith to sacrifice his own son and give up his hope to God. But what happens, we do know, is when he was about to sacrifice him, God says, stop. Don't do it. For now I know that you would give up your only son for me. Now, side note, we should be hearing, we should see pictures of Jesus. And what God did for us is he laid his son down to be sacrificed for our sins on the altar of all of our mistakes. But there was no one to stop God's hand. There was no one to say, no, I'm going to cover for you. God sacrificed his son on the cross. His only son, who is somewhere around 30 years old. And his son died willingly so that we could be saved. There's so many pictures here that are drawn from the Old Testament so that we can see the gravity of God's love above all else. But, even, but regardless of the, the picture, we have a, 
We have God stopping Abraham's hand from sacrificing Isaac. And God says, now, there's, a, you can, there's an animal to sacrifice over here. Go ahead and sacrifice it instead. And so Isaac does not end up being sacrificed. Okay. And in this process, we see a journey of faith for Abraham. It starts out that he had enough faith to go out. He is commended by, by his faith to leave his father's house, to go and get the promised land when he didn't know where he was going. And maybe for you today, maybe you feel like you need to make changes that are going to disrupt what you are comfortable with, what you are used to, because it will take, that's what faith requires of you. Do you have the faith to step out of your comfort zone and follow God in the way he asks? So Abraham did that. And in chapter 15, God affirms, I highlight that verse, that God said, I am your reward. But you remember, Abraham kind of went past that and said, but what are you going to give me? His hope was in Isaac. His future was in Isaac. His descendants were in Isaac. That's why it is such a big deal in chapter 22 when he lays Isaac down. That was his hope. That was everything to him. And the beauty of his faith when he did, did that is he was surrendering everything to God. And God was his reward. God was Abraham's reward. When he trusted God enough to give him everything. That's when God truly was his reward and his inheritance. Now, the beauty is our God is so good that even when we sacrifice everything, when we surrender everything and say, God, I don't know what all you're going to require of me, but I'm going to give it all to you, whatever you ask. Whenever we do that, we glorify God and we put him first in our lives. And when we do that, the beauty is God provides better. It's like when, when a parent uh, has something for their child that they want them to hand over. Maybe it's something they shouldn't be eating. Maybe it's a piece of glass that they don't want them to, to throw in their mouths. And they said, hand me that. I've got something else for you. Just trust me. Give it to me. When they really they have a piece of candy to give back. I don't know if that, that analogy lands with you. But the idea is God will always ask us to do something. He will ask great measures of faith sometimes where we have to submit and just trust him. But we can be assured, God's way will always be better. And even if we hand over something we think is what we want, God will provide better. And God ends up providing a sacrifice in place of Isaac and a lineage that is innumerable as the sand by the seashore and the stars in the sky comes after through this process. Our God will always provide better. And if you're wondering today, you know what? I'm starting to see that God is calling me out. God is asking things of me. And some people might lead you to believe that that's an easy thing. That's a simple thing. Just believe God. But that's not the God that, of the Bible. The God of the Bible says, I want everything you have. If I'm not first in your life, I'm nothing. I'm not really God until you trust me with everything and until you're willing to surrender to me. Belief the Bible says even the demons believe in God. Demons understand God, but they're opposed to him, or they don't follow him. So even if the demons believe, that doesn't mean they're, they're servants of him. But when we fully surrender to God, that is when our faith becomes real. That is where God becomes the first in our lives. 
and for you today, it will be worth it. You may give things up, but I believe with all my heart you will get back better. Really in this life and the next. I believe God will replace the challenges with, no be challenges, but victories. Challenges with no hope to challenges with a victory in the end. So you can have faith. That you can surrender to a God who will bless you beyond what you could ever imagine giving to yourself if you were to keep and hold back from him. So how did he do this? Well, one of the few things we know is that God told him it was going to happen. So he must have just been grounded in the promises of God. He was grounded to the point that, you know, maybe he could have feared. He could have feared thinking, I'm going to have to sacrifice my son because of sins that I committed. And we learned in the Old Testament this was a problem. In the old law, people saw it as like, if you messed up, God punished you. And if you did good, God blessed you. So he could have seen this as God's way of punishing him by sacrificing his son. But he didn't. He had faith so strong in God's promises that he knew God was going to do what he said. Do you believe in God's promises? He believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, so that was Abraham. <clears throat> we don't have a ton more time, so uh, we're going to step into Isaac. Is the next verse uh, in chapter, in verse 20 of chapter 11 in Hebrews. So Isaac is his son. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. So Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And in the Old Testament, they are twins. They come out of the womb together. But Esau is the firstborn. On Esau's way out, he grabs on, uh, Jacob grabs on to the foot of his brother to where they both come out basically together. But Jacob is the heel snatcher. And that is now an idiom in Judaism to describe someone who's deceitful, someone who trips someone else up. Jacob, his whole life, turns out to be this guy who's always deceitful to get ahead. He makes these moves, these sly pieces of trickery to get his way, to get his birthright. And so in their, uh, when they are uh, going to get their blessing, these are the two guys it's coming to, Jacob and Esau. Now we learn, uh, that, we learn that Jacob is a guy who's a little more delicate. He's a little more of a mama's boy. But Esau is a man's man. He's hairy. He comes out red. He's a hunter. He likes all those things. And so his father Isaac likes Esau better. It's, it just, it's carnal. It might not be like a very admirable thing for him to have a preference. But the Bible tells us Isaac likes Esau better. But his mom likes Jacob better. Okay, So we're kind of setting the scene here. We're told here that the faith, before I get into some of the weeds on about these guys, I want to be clear that we're told that by faith he blesses them concerning things to come. So when Isaac is about to die, he pronounces a blessing on his children. Okay, And so we know that he has faith in God's trustworthiness and a heart that would look to the future of his descendants in God's sight. So that's kind of the first layer of this. We know Isaac had faith to bless his children in God's sight. Okay, but let's get a little more into the story with Jacob and Esau because it's an interesting time to say that Isaac had faith because of all the issues surrounding this family. They had a lot of issues. So we talked about uh, how he was the one who snatched the heel, the difference in the two children, 
And there's an event where they're both old enough to be taking care of themselves where uh, Jacob is making some stew. His brother comes in from the field. He didn't get anything on his hunt. And so he basically says, Esau says, hey, man, give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, well, give me your birthright. Give me your inheritance. And Esau is like, if I'm going to die from hunger, who cares about my inheritance? And so he gives him the stew in exchange for his birthright. We learn later that that was just a foolish mistake by Esau. He was always concerned about what he got now, 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 and that led him to trading his inheritance. Okay, This is a fast version of a lot of events in the Old Testament. So when it comes time after the birthright to get the blessing, what happens is uh, his mom says, I want you to get the blessing, Jacob, instead of your older brother. The older brother is supposed to get this special blessing, but I want you to get it instead. And he's like, how's this going to work? When my father, my father has bad eyesight, he's getting old, and so he's going to, but he'll still be able to feel me. He can tell that I'm the, maybe Jacob is a scrawny man, he wasn't quite so hairy as his brother, and manly. And so she said, he said, how, how am I going to make this work? How can I convince him to give me the blessing? And so his mom says, we're going to do this. We're going to kill a goat. We're going to put his fur around your arms so that your father thinks it's your brother. He must have been a hairy dude to think that was, that was his brother. So that, that's what happens. He goes, gets the goat, kills it. They provide a meal out of that goat, and she wraps him up in his fur. And so he comes in with this costume of fur to speak to his father. His father is in bed. He is near death. Uh, he's, old, he's at least not old enough to, to see that it's not his, the son he thinks it is. And so uh, he gives him the meal uh, of the goat that he cooked, and he says, come here, let me feel your skin. And he's like, sure enough, it's as hairy as Esau. And so he ends up blessing Jacob. So he blesses Jacob. Then Jacob leaves with this blessing. He's all happy. Now he got this blessing. Now I'm going to be the one who has the authority in the family. Esau comes in and he's like, Father, I'm ready to get my blessing. And he's like, what are you talking about? I just gave you your blessing. And eventually Esau realizes and, G and Isaac realizes he blessed the wrong guy. Esau was supposed to get the first blessing, the older sibling, but Jacob was the trickster the way he was. He was the heel snatcher from the beginning, and he pulled ahead, and he took the blessing from him. Okay, so in all of this, we're told that Isaac had faith and blessed his children to come. It's a weird time to me to, to pronounce a blessing but there's a couple things in here that we, are, we already said. He had faith to bless his descendants. And once he realizes God either wanted to bless him or God, however it happened, Jacob got the blessing. And, and Isaac is trembling and he says, you know, that's going to be it. If it's God's will, that's going to be what happens. And I cannot change that, but I have faith in God's promises. So he had faith in blessing his children. But what's a little bit uh, not clear is we don't know all the details. Now, one commentator I was reading after, I will explain to you what he thinks on this, and you can decide for yourself. I think I'm willing to go into it because I think the application, regardless, is true that we're going to draw. We know that he wanted, Isaac wanted to give the blessing to Esau. And it was contrary to, you might call it the promise or the prophecy or both, that the older shall serve the younger. There was a prophecy made 
that the older sibling is going to serve the younger one. So Jacob was all along going to be the one who got this. So this commentator I was reading after said, that was God's promise. And Isaac should have taken heed to that or paid attention to that and not try to give the blessing to Esau instead. We don't know for sure if, if he was contrary to God in this, but we do know that he liked Esau better and that's what he was wanting to do for his own reasons. And we learn that afterward, he comes, he's trembling when he realizes what happened. Now, some people think that he was trembling because he realized he was in opposition to God's will. I don't know if that's the case, but I'm going to draw some application now. Sometimes our faith is in its greatest moment, even kind of surrounded by a lot of mistakes. Sometimes when we're against God, when we have a change of heart and turn around and go the other way, we have our, one of our greatest, most admirable moments of faith. So that you might be in a bad situation, you might have a pattern of disobedience. But that moment where you take where you're going and you shift direction, that takes strength, that takes faith, and it takes, it takes faith and submission to God's word. So even though you might not be in a spot that you're proud of right now, or even at times in your life where you weren't proud of where you're at, any time you submit to God and you turn from your way to his way, that is faith. And that is commendable by God. Now, I don't know if that's the point of why Isaac was commended here, was for his turning to God in faith to say, you know what, this is God's will and it's going to happen. I don't know, but the point stands. Maybe you're in a place where you don't feel like you're living out God's will. You can show faith today that is commendable to God by turning your life to live for him the way he wants you to live. The last one we'll talk about, and then we'll close. By faith, Jacob. So it's tracing down the lineage now. By faith, Jacob. When he was dying, so he's kind of in the same situation his father was in. When he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. So he had very little strength. He was old enough to where he was probably bedridden. And he leaned on the top of his staff to worship God. Now I see two main things. I see, number one, someone who's so old and an example of faith. And we have people in this building who are old and who are weak and physically but they will still continue to worship and praise God. And I get that picture sometimes in my head when I see some of our older folks here worshiping or doing what they can in services. I see Isaac or uh, Jacob leaning on the top of his staff. But as admirable as this is, I think the second point is to remember maybe why he's leaning so heavily on his staff. We read about, we read about all these deceit that Jacob had and the, the difficult life he had and and how he was often in opposition. And we learned about a situation in Genesis 32 where he wrestled with God. Or he wrestled with the man, it says there. Whatever that necessarily means, I don't have it all figured out. But we know that he wrestled with either an angel or something, or something with God. And in that fight, that being touched his hip and knocked it out of socket. Kind of a strange situation, but maybe that's why he was leaning so heavily when he was worshiping. That he's leaning on a hip 
from his life of opposition to God, opposition to people, and the problems that he created in his family and with God. And he worshipped leaning over that hip, maybe. Sometimes our past isn't always what we want it to be, but wherever you're at, you can worship God. You can praise God. And we know regardless that his worship was a demonstration of faith in God's goodness, and he blessed the sons of Joseph because he had faith in the security of his descendants, that God was going to bless his descendants and that they would be all right going forward. So we're going to stop there for today. And a couple just conclusions to summarize. So far we've talked about people who have, who have fought the long fight for God and Noah. And so sometimes you just need to hold on through whatever you're going through and hold on to your faith. We learn about people who have not always been faithful, but who had moments of faith. And today, wherever you're at, you can start your walk. You can reaffirm your walk. You can get back on the right track in faith to our God. If you've not started that walk, you can come believing in Him. We cannot have faith in God without understanding God's Word and believing Him, changing our life, living a practically submissive life to God and saying, God, I'll do what you want me to do. Repenting, changing our life, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and being baptized for the remission of our sins in water. And if you've already done that and you want to be you need some help getting back on the right track. You need the prayers, whatever you need. We can take care of anything of this nature uh, this morning while we stand and sing the song of invitation. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.